Welcome to your sanity safe space with your favorite YouTube podcast duo, or at least one of them. It kind of depends and probably some rando too, but no complaining because this is free. Free. This is beauty and the beta bonus audio content. Hello and welcome to the show. Last week, I was a guest on the DeepCast, which is a conversational podcast hosted by Niagara, Canada-based DJ and producer Derek Vienhoff, also known as Decatello. It is a millennial counterculture movement discussing anything and everything, gaming, music, pop culture, history, politics, science, religion, and philosophy, and the nexuses where these worlds collide. Is it Nexuses or Nexi? I don't know. I'm going to look that up when I'm done here. We talked guns. We talked abortion. We talked all sorts of issues. So if you like what you hear, and I hope that you will, check out the DeepCast using the links in the description. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Mr. Derek Vienhoff. He's better known as Deke. Drinking liquor with DJ Deke. We out laughing. Yeah, Deke. everybody this is episode 54 i'm joined here today by matt christensen a youtuber and uh youtube personality thanks for being here matt yeah thanks for having me um so your show deals with you do a live stream weekly wednesdays is that correct yeah we do uh we do a sunday show which is more like a whole weekly news breakdown and that's kind of the feature show and then Wednesday nights we do a call-in show. That's, I mean, just for fun and anything shoot, goes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we we like to keep in touch with our audience and try to be as um, available as we possibly can. So the call-in show is just—it's a crapshoot, man. Sometimes it's really yeah. fun. Sometimes it's really weird. Sometimes uh, I don't know. You just never know what you're going to get. So the Sunday show is like the feature show that we do as far as our our podcast. And then I'm doing my own um, solo videos twice a week as well. Right, the solo videos I think is how I found you. Probably some some news breakdown stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, it's actually similar to like the Stefan, the older Stefan Molyneux videos where he would break down news stories in more of a, a unbiased way. I think he's shifted a little more over the last number of years into stricter ideologies of some sort. But he, he used to just break down things very uh, centrally, and I, mm. I used to like that. But uh, so that's kind of what I digged about uh, your stuff. But uh, yeah, the inter- interesting stuff. The uh, live stream you do allow callers to go off on any sort of tangent, and you actually entertain uh, the conversations, which um, some other podcasts out there kind of berate the guests, and that's also a feature too sometimes. But yeah, uh, sometimes. <laughs> some. I mean, it depends. You know. I mean. Yeah. They the <laughs> a lot of the listeners know. Like, if you want to get me going, try to like tell me how to do my stuff, or or you know, we had a we had one email last night that was to something to the effect of like, I can't believe you disagree with me on X. You better change your tune, or I'm going to stop listening. Those kind of things get me going. Where it's like, yeah. I'm not I'm not going to. You're not my boss, man. I'm not going to yeah. change what I do because you tell me to. No, but other than that, we have a, a great relationship with our audience, and and. Uh, and I think there's a healthy amount of disagreement. It's not totally off the wall. I think everybody who uh, listens to the show is more or less of a libertarian conservative bend. And but you know, as you know, especially in areas of like immigration or even issues um, 
about the role of government generally, there's there's a pretty wide tent in that camp. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, I think it's pretty fun, and I think it's it's a it's the right mix of um, of friendliness, but but challenge as well. So it's it's a fun experience. Mm-hmm. I just did that political spectrum test again that I hadn't done it in a number of years, and I I did fall into the libertarian, a uh, close close moderate libertarian. Uh, social progressive kind of area, mm. and so maybe that's why I'm I'm into your content. I don't know, but uh, I have a similar trajectory for as you. You explained that when you were younger, you had a bit more of a left slant, and then you kind of uh, yeah, even that. um even gosh, I I was taking the that same political compass test three years ago now, so like spring 2016, I used to land libertarian left quadrant, which might be what you're describing, like that bottom left quadrant. Okay, I was on the right quadrant at libertarian. Yeah, so, so I've shifted, and over time, and like I take it now, and I've shifted over into that that right quadrant. So a lot of my issues on like cultural freedom have remained the same. I used to be more of like a, I used to believe more in government investment as a means to provide opportunity and uh, that particular piece of my perspective has shifted quite a lot in the last couple of years. Mm. Um, but what really did it for me was the increasing hostility to free speech generally on the left. That's what really got me questioning a lot of things that I've never, I've never wavered on that. That's always been the most crucial value to uphold to me is you should be able to, to speak your mind and say what you believe to be true and all other considerations are secondary. Right. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of libertarian stuff, did you see this recent uh, Supreme Court uh, ruling on the uh, civil forfeitures. This just happened. I, I guess. I've only seen like a headline level yeah. description, so I, I have no specific knowledge of it. I guess it's just they. It was a nine to zero ruling, so it was kind of a, hmm. uni, a, a unity uh, front there, uh, which is interesting with the the current day and age of Supreme Court stuff. But uh, yeah, I guess they just extended to the states, whereas previously it was just the federal government. There were some limits on civil forfeitures, and that's I don't know what the limits of that are imposed now. But uh, yeah, uh, that was kind of interesting. That's uh, yeah, your homie uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is is back now. She's <laughs> she's, she's not alive. About. She's out and yes. about. TMZ uh, TMZ was filming her. She is not alive. <laughs> that's one area where I will happily. Uh, put on a tinfoil hat dude i'm telling you that footage is old or that's a body double or something like that nobody her vote was done by her staff it's not real it's all fake no i don't know um i'm kind of i'm you know people in your audience i'm I'm tongue-in-cheek about 50 percent but but um that said uh speaking truthfully about ruth bader ginsburg like we we played a clip of her on our show probably two or three months ago of her giving a speech think maybe George Washington University or participating in a speaking event. And this is a, this is a person who is in uh, very rough shape, like health wise, or just, I mean, she's very old. I, I don't even mean that like condescendingly. Yeah. Well, this she's had a, can, uh, lung cancer uh, yeah. surgery. And, and this is, I'm just saying, uh, observing from a layman perspective, I don't yeah. think this is a person who's doing all of the duties of, of uh, a Supreme Court justice on her own. I'm very skeptical of that. Ah, okay. And and I and you know I think this is a classic example of uh, of hanging on to that spot, which she's totally entitled to do. It's a lifetime appointment. But the idea about the Supreme Court justices is that they're supposed to be apolitical. That's the that's the reason why. They're given that lifetime appointment. And I don't think she's on the bench right now if Hillary Clinton is president. 
Mm. I think that she's holding on to this for political reasons. Again, not saying that's wrong. She's entitled to that seat. Right. But, uh, but, I, but I, I think it kind of uh, pokes a hole in the, in the way our Supreme Court operates. In terms of its design, it was designed to be apolitical, but as a practical matter, it operates politically in a lot of ways, this being one of them. Mm-hmm. Well, it yeah. seems almost, I mean, nowadays, uh, just the general sense of it seems like a very uh, political sort of um, ring, like a, a, where the fight actually goes down. It's, yeah. it's just, you know, um, each side is scared of the other side getting getting another appointee in there. Yeah, uh, so. uh, and that's what's so frustrating, man, is like uh, you have the, <laughs> when, you, when you're dealing with a lot of people uh, of, of a more left-wing perspective, yeah, they're terrified of like Donald Trump having tons of power. They're terrified of uh, a more conservative Supreme Court. And from my perspective, it's like, yeah, wouldn't it be nice if there was less power in these institutions so you wouldn't have to care? But it it always seems that they want to they don't want to debate the sword. They just want to wield the sword. You know, I want to say, let's not have anybody have swords. But right. like, no, no, we want the sword and we want to control you with the sword. OK, well, we're going to have. And that's the libertarian viewpoint, right? Generally yeah. speaking, just smaller government, less interference in, in your personal life. And um, yeah. so for you, does that apply to, uh, say, things like gun ownership, uh, marijuana, oh, yeah. possession, that kind of thing? Yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah my, my perspective on guns has changed a lot uh, over the last two to three years as well. And that's actually just due to understanding them more and understanding the law a lot better. I was never like an, a full anti-gun confiscation ban them all type person but i i bought the the democratic party line about you know my common sense gun reform sure, tighten, things tighten like it up that. a little bit and... yeah and the reality is that you know generally speaking the restrictions that i think a, a quote-unquote reasonable person a common sense person would want exist at the federal level yeah and I, I don't think that you're going to do – I don't think any more restrictions, particularly from the federal government, are going to have any noticeable uh, any noticeable effect on crime. I think all you're doing at this point is just making it more difficult for law-abiding people to defend themselves if you keep chipping away at this. Uh, so, so yeah, my perspective on, on it has changed a lot in terms of understanding the weapons myself and in terms of, of taking a closer look at the law. And you know, at the end of the day – as you're talking about decentralization of power too, it's like, listen, if you, if you want to be kooky in California and New York and, and Chicago and Illinois, and you know, you have a lot of laws that I disagree with that I, frankly, I do think are unconstitutional, but you want to do this stuff in your localities, in your States. I have a lot less problem than I do with trying to do it at the federal level and control everyone's lives because you know, the reality is it just varies a lot state to state. I guess I understand why someone in Chicago where there's not just rampant gun uh, gun violence, but violence overall, why they might want to figure out how to get this under control. But for someone who lives in a state like mine, where we have, I'm sure, more guns than people, there are the, the guns per capita here is one of the highest in the entire country. And yet you have a comparatively low gun violence rate, violent crime rate. That's just not a thing. There's not a lot of murder yeah. here there's not a lot of robbery there's not a lot of any of that so, so it sorry Bozeman, so bozeman is the fourth largest city I, I was surprised how small the population actually is it was like forty thousand. yeah it's uh it's a college town one of montana's two college towns basically but yeah it's it's about forty thousand. depends on if you factor the college in the college about fifteen thousand kids and oh. so maybe it's up you know you count them it's up near 50 but they're kind of in and out. Like, not all of them live here full time. I wasn't aware that Montana only had like a million people. Yeah, I think 
probably the last five years it cleared a million, maybe a little longer. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely one of the lowest population density states. We yeah. we have a ton of area and not a lot of people. So that's pretty good for crime, right? I mean, yeah, that's spread out to that's, themselves. Cer- that's certainly part of the equation. Yeah, you know, but but that's also part of the consideration with guns too. It's like I live, I don't live in an incredibly rural area. I live like kind of if Bozeman had suburbs. I sort of live there, okay. if you can call it that. But, it, you know, it's technically outside of city limits. But I have neighbors in close proximity. That said, people like my parents, other people I know, they live way out there in like a more rural, uh, even like a ranch setting. A lot of these people are ranchers who have their own uh, self-sustaining businesses out there. Firearms in, in such a case are essential not just for the operation of your ranch and your business in terms of dealing with um, with animals and things like that. But in terms of your safety, like even where I am now, if I was going to call the cops uh, and which I would like as a pro gun person, as long as I'm not at gunpoint right now threatened, my first reaction is going to be to call the police. But there's still going to be, in my case, I'm sure at least a 10 minute wait in the case of people who live in a lot rural land, a lot more rural land west of. I mean, some of those places, you're, it could be a half hour or more like you. You are at, you are your first line of defense in the, in such a scenario, and especially for people like that, you know the, the the tougher you make it for them to defend themselves, that's their livelihood at stake, and it's their life at stake at that point. Might not be the same case for somebody who lives in an apartment building in New York or Chicago or wherever else. Yeah, I feel like uh, like around here where we are, um, our our city's like one hundred thirty three thousand or so, and it's a it's a lot of uh, left leaning people here, and there's a lot of anti gun sentiment, and I think that's part of it too. Is you, when you're not around all that crime, uh, you say, well, why do you, why would you need a gun? I don't I don't know why you would need one. I don't have one. Uh, I talked to some guys in Detroit. You live inner city Detroit and stuff, and every block has their own little gang, and you you it's normal to have a gun. It's it's you know it's it's just a, a means of protecting yourself in in that sort of concrete jungle, so to speak, um, uh, place. Yeah. I don't know. That's I don't know what effect that has on crime, but that's a good thing. I'm just saying uh, it's a necessity for some people in certain uh, circumstances. You know. Sure, and I just I, I think you have an inherent uh, right to self, uh, right to self defense. I think you have a natural right to self defense, and I guess why I'm, what I'm puzzled about with the perspective on the left too is that the reality about firearms is they're a great equalizer. So. I think fundamentally the left believes in, in you know, a, a, a sort of a Marxist worldview of oppressor and oppressed. There's a whole group of victim classes. Well, if you're part of a victim class, if society is oppressing you uh, left and right, the great equalizer would probably be helpful for you to defend yourself. You know, if, like the, if you if you actually believe the MAGA hat guys are running around beating up people in Chicago. Right. Uh, the, the firearm is a great equalizer. If you believe that women are victimized by men frequently, well, the great equalizer for for women to men is is a firearm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. And then, of course, if, I mean, if you actually believe the president of the United States is Adolf Hitler himself. Yeah. A firearm is a great line of defense against uh, against a tyrannical government. But. I don't know. I mean, it's even the perspective of like, well, all the cops are racist. The cops prey on on racial minorities, but also only the cops should have firearms. Even the black cops are racist. I get it's internalized racism. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, if if you buy into that, if you believe that that society systemically victimizes certain classes, it seems to me it would make sense for those classes to be armed and uh, able to defend themselves. But their conclusion is make them helpless. And That's at an the interesting mercy point. of the government. Yeah. 
I didn't I, have I don't to think about it like that before. That's a that's an interesting way to to frame it. Um, speaking of Jesse Smollett, I know you were waiting forty five minutes for someone to mention it on your stream the other night. Um, <laughs> did you know that he uh, his musical talents? Are, are you familiar? I've not he, watched the show, but right. I've heard clips. It seems like he can sing well. Apparently, yeah. It's, sonically, it's pretty good. As far as content in that, I mean, it's a little corny, but he has a song with Swiss Beats, who is um, one of hmm. the greatest rap producers of all time. But um, I think that's because the connection is Alicia Keys, uh, his wife, is part of the show or producer hmm. on the show or something like that. Okay. Um, yeah, anyway, it's just a funny... I, at first, I thought his album was coming out soon, but I yeah. realized it was a year ago that it came out. I thought at first that it was uh, maybe that was part of the. Wait, this is the rapper or this is Jesse Smollett? Jesse Smollett. He he had yeah. an album that came out last year, but I thought it was coming out in March this year at first. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I figured this out, but no, it was a year. <laughs> it was a year ago. Um, no charting hits or anything really, but. Uh, um, I just want to run through a few quick news stories. Uh, I know your sure. time is sensitive tonight, so uh, are, have you seen this Tucker Carlson versus the Dutch historian clip? No, that's another thing. I've only seen the headlines circulating. Yeah. I, I, I read that he told the guy to F off. I don't know if I can just... Yeah, he called him a moron. And he, but... Yeah, sure you can. He called okay. him a moron, um, fucking moron or something like that. And this guy, if you see the video, you'll see that... Uh, uh, I feel everyone's saying that Tucker was being rude because he swore and called the guy a name. But if you watch, the guy first attacks him. He doesn't huh. swear or call him names, but he just gets on this rude sort of uh okay you know you you're a millionaire paid by billionaires you're part of the problem uh <laughs> you know tax evading R rupert murdoch this and that blah 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 and yeah. and and you know everybody is in love with this guy now uh i looked him up he's got a book called utopia how to really get there S something to that effect mm. um so again it just it's another uh left-leaning person who has you know some position of authority or or not tenure, but like a, he's an author. Yeah, uh, has a book out, and and sometimes you just the the stuff that goes on in Reddit and Twitter and these things where you know Dutch historian destroys Tucker Car like some headline like that, where then you watch the video, and of course it's a now this um it's a now this clip too that you know those yeah. are very viral. Um, They're always very accurate and very fair too. Very <laughs> those... very cut, so you only see the beginning card. Some of those are the worst pieces of propaganda on the internet. They do trigger me. Oh, um, my God. The worst one recently was the AOC talking to Congress, doing this, doing that whole um, uh, scenario game with them where she said, OK, I'm a bad guy. If I want to get super PACs to pay for me, big oil, big pharma, uh, yeah. I could do that. Right, right, right. And then they said, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And now this just cut the, the, the first part of it where she looks like she's, you know, giving it to the establishment. They left the last half out where uh, a guy responds to everything, uh, basically dismantling everything she yeah. said. Yeah, you know. That sounds about right. Anyway, the Tucker Carlson thing is just another interesting... Um, he's an interesting figure because I don't know how much of him I like, but uh, again, it seems like you constantly uh, have these attack moments on these right-wing figures that are sort of attacking their character or trying to, but not really uh, logic. It's sort of a logical fallacy, which I know you're f very familiar with these logical fallacies. You guys talk about uh, some of them on the stream sometimes, like steel manning and this kind of thing. Um, you know, it, it's, it, I, I don't, I see a lot of people that don't understand what logical fallacies are and they use them just uh, wantonly. And it's, just amazing to see and and 
it seems that these videos uh, tug at everybody's heartstrings and just uh, they think they're proving their point, right? That we need to tax the rich. That's the answer. No ifs yeah. about it. Um, but they don't get at the sort of the hard economics of it. Not that I'm an economics uh, major at all, but um, yeah, I well, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it, what we're watching is constant reenactments of the AOC mantra, I think, which is a lot of people care more about being precisely and factually correct than they do about being morally right. And I think the Jesse Smollett stuff and, and and the Covington case and a lot of these things where people jump to conclusions because it's the feel-good, supposedly moral conclusion without assessing the facts later. Yeah, uh, I, th I think that's what we're watching in a lot of these cases. And I don't know how we fix that culture because it really does bother me that we have a culture that's willing to jump to conclusions as long as it fits the supposedly moral narrative. But what, what also bothers me is, you know, because we, we talk about a lot of these issues like Jesse Smollett. We do a whole bit on the show of hoax hate crime of the week. We've been talking about this for two years because they happen yeah. all the time. Yeah. So what bothers me is frequently I'm just, you know, perusing Facebook or whatever on my personal account. And, and like what happened in Bozeman a few weeks ago, like some, some guy, I think spray painted on the window, not even spray paint. It was markers like washable marker on him, the windows of his car. Didn't even damage his car. It says, we are watching you signed the KKK. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, of course it's a big deal. It's all over the news, even though there was no damage done, but we're going to make a big deal of this and we're going to raise some money and do all this and that. And I don't throw people under the bus definitively without evidence of doing that. I'm not going to say this guy's a hoaxer. What a piece of crap, <clears throat> but everybody's, in the comment section, <clears throat> sorry, my voice is going now too. Everybody's in the comment section saying, I can't believe this is my community. How do these evil Nazis infiltrate? Right. And just for saying, listen, hold up. Before we jump to conclusions, there's a lot of these hoaxes going sure. on. Just chill out. Let's wait for facts. I got people jumping down my throat calling me a brown shirt. You know, <laughs> yeah, we had an culture. identical situation here in this yeah. city. It was in the local park that uh, went on Facebook too. Same exact situation. Somebody had a Nazi yeah. graffiti thing, and the local just it just went wild. Five hundred thousand shares, something like that, talking about white supremacy and Nazism in this little Ontario town in between Niagara Falls and Hamilton, Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> like it's there, it's there's a bunch of graffiti kids here. Yeah. There's not a bunch of Nazis here, that, and this is what yeah. people just well, don't understand. And that's what's fascinating to me. You got these people saying things to that effect. I can't believe this could happen in my town. Yeah, isn't that the point? You and I hang out in the same city. We have a pretty good feel of what this city's like. If it seems very odd, it probably is very odd. It, it yeah. probably doesn't pass the smell test. It probably yeah. is a little weird. So what... What we I don't know how we're going to get to this point, but what I want is a culture that that thinks the truth and facts are the highest value above everything else. And I don't want I don't want to shame people for asking questions. And that's really the lesson I take away from this Jesse Smollett stuff and elsewhere, because there'll be there will be a time where the fact pattern is a little bit unclear, but I think it's clear and other people are doubting it and they and they might have their reasons or their skepticism. What I refuse to do and, and what I hope we stop doing is shame is shaming people for asking questions and trying to get at the truth. That should totally. never be, totally. that should never be something to which your character is smeared or for which your character is smeared or you're, you know, you're, no, you're called no. names or shamed or anything like that. 
Yeah, I knew it was fake from the get-go. I texted uh, my friend, uh, you know, it's happening again. I said something like that because the the, the, uh, the MAGA kid uh, thing had just happened. And I was like, look, yeah. here we go again. And then it kind of looked a little more real for a moment. Uh, you know, it flipped back and forth a bit. But you do have that sense uh, like, oh, I, I can't really tell everybody I think this is fake because people will have this this judgment. Yeah. And uh, But it, the case was – it was just so uh, – you know, it was it was so obvious. It really this was. This one was a particularly easy call, and that's why to people who were all on board, right? I, I it's very weird. Ellen Page has got some explaining God, to do. That was a terrible clip. Good lord! I actually oh, didn't even watch it, but uh, yeah, I I heard. Uh, totally random. But did you see Alex Jones called AOC a meth mouth? <laughs> I think. I, well, that he, seems. That seems it's a, a little... It's a false. little extra. Yeah. yeah. It was in an interview we had with Peter Schiff recently, just talking about the economy. Um, yeah. I'm a huge Peter Schiff fan as well. Okay. So um, I just thought it was so random and out of place. I think she's pretty cute. I think she's a good-looking woman. She's seems nice enough. I mean, I do find her condescending and a little, uh, you know... And I, but when people call her the bartender and stuff, I feel a little bit like, I'm like, oh, come on. Like, she's got to have something good there. That's just It's masked by all this... Uh, uh, emotion and, and you know I mean I will uh, I will acknowledge I chuckle at some of the horse memes like I think <laughs> I think she's got a big cut she gets kind of horsey with that big grin sometimes but I've listen we got uh, we have a fair amount of um, uh, or a large meth problem in this state I've seen meth mouths frequently <laughs> she does not have a meth mouth like she's not right. on that level I think now it's just a little she, extra she has big teeth and a big smile sure but it's not I mean, they're not rotted out, man. I don't know what his point was with that. Like, was it just a diss or was it like we should be concerned that she's actually on meth? I don't know what. You never know with Alex Jones. And uh, God, man, Alex Jones still plays on the radio here. That's one thing. It's a a claim to or something I'm proud of of my locality. They still play him on the radio on Saturday. He has not been deplatformed off of uh, the local radio station, like local conservative talk radio, the same station that plays like Rush and Sean Hannity. Right. Like he's still he's on. changed his name to, to News Wars now or something instead of InfoWars. Oh, I hadn't heard that. It's, I it, thought he said something like that. I might be wrong, but I, I think he changed uh, the name of it. Um, so I know you. we don't have too much time left. Um, I actually wanted to jump into the abortion conversation. I know that's sure. a... It's it's a, a thick one, but uh, on your show sometimes you you do mention that you're you've gone back and forth on different aspects of the abortion discussion. And uh, do you do you find these days you know where you stand, or is it a, is a, is it constantly shifting? Um, uh, what I would say is I know where I stand in terms of what I think a moral person would do in such a situation, which you know I think. Generally speaking, a moral person is not going to do elective abortion. So a moral person is not going to use abortion as a as a method of birth control, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, I, I, you know, there are some exceptions that I'm sympathetic to when you start talking about rape, incest, those sorts of things. But the reality is when we're talking about that stuff, we're talking about like, you know, a percent and a half of the total abortion cases. So what I struggle with, though, still is. Is um is what the law should say. Like if I were writing a law in my state right now, yeah. I'm not exactly sure what it would say. I'm not exactly sure because you have you have the the question of defining at what point are you ending a life and therefore are prosecutable for what is something akin to murder. Mm-hmm. And then the other question too is if you buy that, who 
who is punished? Is it just the provider who did it? Is the is it the woman herself? Mm-hmm. These are a lot of questions that I think are very difficult to answer. And right. I don't the know spouse that... maybe the spouse yeah. that's involved in sure. decision or something. Yeah. But um but over time I've been I used to consider myself firmly pro-choice. And over time I've I've shifted uh in part because I sort of realized Austin Peterson had a great moment on the Rubin report a few years ago that pushed me a little bit where you know I've never I, I'm I don't know at what point life begins. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you. For some people insist they can tell you definitively. That's fine, good for them. But to the to the extent there's any doubt, it seems a little irresponsible for me not to err on the side of life. If I grant that there's a life at stake at some point in this pregnancy process, yeah. it would be prudent to err on the side of protecting it because if that is a life, it deserves the same protection as you or I or any other form of human life. Right. Uh, so there's that. But the other factor that's been pushing me is just the excesses of the left. And I know that's kind of a crutch that I go back to. It's like they're terrible on speech. They're terrible on guns. They're terrible on everything. Sure. But the reality is I had an experience. Um, my co-host and I went to um, to the Republican National Convention in 2016. And this was an experience that really got my my mental gears grinding a little bit because I've in my pro-choice days, it's like I firmly believed, okay, this is a terrible choice that nobody makes happily. Like if it happens, it's a tragic decision that a family or a woman makes and she makes it begrudgingly because of circumstances X, Y, or Z. Firmly believed that. Go to Cleveland. We're just interviewing people on the street and I start talking to these uh, shout your abortion people and interviewing this shout your abortion girl in particular. And we're just talking about destigmatization which you know maybe there's something to that but she's talking about like abortion pride yeah you know i think that's just a swinging of the the other you know uh, i can see that and I, you do see that and there's even been some various celebrities that have had videos like that uh you know just uh, with the the whole pride aspect of it and I, I maybe i i think that's just a i feel guilty but i'm gonna mask it with this new viewpoint which is pride in what i've done yeah, and deep down there still is is there's no question that there's guilt there, and that's going to follow you f- for your life. I mean, I, I do know personally a f- few people who have dealt with this in their younger years, and I I kind of see I, I see a lot of aspects of the debate. I don't know where, exactly where I fall, but uh, I I know that for the vast majority of people, it is a tough decision. It's not. Um, it it can't be an easy thing, even if somebody is to change to some uh, prideful viewpoint uh, later on to to for whatever reason. I feel like in that moment, subjectively, it has to be difficult. I, I can't imagine. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, and not. and you know, I don't know for what percent it is or what percent it isn't. But to the yeah. point that you're making too, it just in my you know, non-scientific observation, but I think there's scientific study to back this up. Generally speaking, it's associated with just poor outcomes for, for not just the women, but the men who are also behind the pregnancy, like people who have been parties to abortion have significant issues later in terms of regret or, or even mental health issues or just, it's not commonly associated with beneficial outcome. You know, I I know that for a fact because I I do know people that men that have gone through it in their teenage years, uh, very well. And so I know that for a fact. Um, I, and that's an interesting part of it too, that is not talked about a lot. Um, Hmm. which oddly ties into the Covington kids and they're have they're having a say in, in the debate, uh, even though they're men is because it takes two to tango and men are part of, of the decision. But, 
rather they are not part of the decision typically because it's it is the woman's body and so usually uh the decision goes goes to yeah, the woman the, you know. we had a caller last night from australia toward the end of the stream who when he was i mean i guess i can share this because not he shared it on our show, so I assume I'm not. <laughs> His name wasn't attached to it anyway. But what he said was that he um, that he had gotten his girlfriend pregnant that he and he didn't even know about it when he was 19, and she had gone behind his back and had an abortion because she didn't think that he was he would be capable of being a good dad. To, by his own admission, he had alcohol problems and drug problems, but to this day, he's. Uh, apparently very bitter about it, very, uh, you know, unhappy about that. And that's another angle too. It's like going back to like, what would the law say? Should the law require, uh, if not the consent, but at least the notification of the male party involved? I I don't see why not. It seems, it sounds a little extreme to even say that, but I, 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 logically speaking, I don't see why not because it, it is, um, you know, it's part of a, a man and part of a woman that creates yeah. a person. It's not a, it's not a solo thing. Well, they always, you know, they always go back to the, my body, my choice thing, which generally speaking, I'm very sympathetic to bodily autonomy. Arguments. A libertarian I, view as well. Right. I yeah. Mean, but your choice was also to participate in the arrangement that created a new body. Like this is a biologically distinct body. That's not your body at that point. And you like, if, you know, this is why I have some ambiguity on the rape issue because if you didn't actually consent to what's happening with your body at that point maybe there's more of a bodily autonomy argument but if you had consensual sex that led to a pregnancy i mean i'm sorry you you rolled the dice you consented to rolling the dice and you lost in that arrangement if you want to call it losing but that's what happened right so i don't think you can just participate in that game willingly and then when you get the losing outcome or the outcome you don't want say oh well no 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 i don't want any i don't i don't want any of the responsibility well you did you you did the gamble. Now you got to pay your debt. You know mm-hmm, that's the mm-hmm. way that's the way these things work. Um, uh, speaking specifically to the the New York law change, uh, I've this whole thing about the good health and yeah. how it's loosely defined in in the legislation. Um, I've been kind of hung up on this because. I feel I hear a lot of people saying, "Well, it just says good health. It's that's very ambiguous. There's no way to real that could be mental health. That could be anything." And my view is kind of, I, I still view health practitioners as having morals or ha, uh, ha, having, you know, they have the Hippocratic oath and these kind of things. Uh-huh. Where I feel like they, I I, I generally trust them uh, to in these rare cases where this would happen, which is, you know, 1% or whatever it is after 24 weeks or, uh, to, to make the proper decision and, and to, and I think that good health, how it's defined in the, in the law can be understood by, uh, by the system in place, by, uh, by the practitioner. And then in, in any future case, uh, that would be, you know, brought against him that, does that is that making sense? What I'm saying that well, you know, yeah, that I, there would be recourse to if if he were to uh, perform an abortion that could be proven then t- uh, later on to not have uh, f- had huh. any effect on the mother or the fetus. Do you know what I mean? Well, I, I certainly am in favor of leaving medical decisions about health in in physicians' hands as opposed to the state's hands, right. uh, but I guess the question that the that the New York law has now created is. Is the non-life and death health, that is to say, like, is, I don't know, is, um, 
are relatively minor health implications sufficient to justify the ending of what is at that point a mostly a fully formed human life. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't. Uh, I, I totally me, see what yeah. you're saying. Like there, there's that ambiguous feeling uh, with the wording, uh, and you know taking that wording and thinking about, okay, how, how is that actually going to happen in reality? Are we going to have situations where, uh, the mother, uh, or, and the doctor maybe sort of, you know, have a conversation off to the side that, that, uh, you know, or there's this minor, such a, a health thing that's so minor. And then, and then they just, uh, kill the, the infant. Uh, yeah. I, I just kind of see it more as, uh, maybe I'm repeating myself, but I, I, I would trust the doctor to, uh, make the decision, uh, that you know this feed this this baby is going to be born with uh, you know all these horrific things like some of the organs organs uh, on the outside of their body or whatever whatever the extreme thing is. But I guess is is the question where the, when the, where does the extreme meet the ambiguous sort of thing? And, and yeah, I mean, I guess the pr- the precedent I'm uncomfortable setting is. Let, I don't know. This is a medically absurd example, but just to go <laughs> with it. Like let's say, oh, by virtue of this uh, this childbirth, you're going to endure really bad headaches, really bad migraines Yeah. by by going through this pregnancy and it, it, you could terminate it to avoid it. Well, I mean, at, at that point in the pregnancy, eight months, seven, whatever, late term, yeah. what would be the moral distinction between ending that pregnancy to avoid those headaches in the judgment of the, of the physician versus like your toddler's really rambunctious and annoying and gives you headaches. So you kill him. Right now, the point, the, the, the example you're giving is much more, is much different than headaches. You're talking about like potentially life threatening physical deformities. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know where you draw that line. Um, it's a bit of a leap of faith, I guess it's, yeah. it's, it's a bit of like, okay, I, logically speaking this is a little dangerous um the ambiguity of it but in a sort of realistic sense um sort of taking that leap of faith with health practitioners and and thinking you know what i feel like they got this i know that it's it could be a little ignorant maybe but just in some sense i think that's more of the accurate view that i just to sort of trust health practitioners to make that right decision uh and i think that that decision in reality and in practice is going to have a lot more weight than some of us tend to think it might. Like we think that there's just going to be this woman that's like, you know, I'm 40 weeks in, uh, but uh, you know what? This is causing me headaches. Let's just, yeah. can we just take it out? Sure. Okay. And then it's done. It, that's kind well, of what we think of might happen, but, but maybe it's a little yeah, more. And, and maybe we'll get some answers on this because it does seem like a priority. We're seeing it in Virginia. We've seen it in New York. We're seeing it in a bunch of States. This seems like a priority of the democratic party. Um, as I, as I said, you know, I, I don't know how I'd write the law on this issue, but one one benefit of, I mean, I don't know. I I, I can see the other side of this, too, because I don't really like, you know, uh, te- doing this kind of gambling or testing with human life, which is what we're talking about. But generally speaking, I like a system in which these states can define how these things are going to operate for themselves, and we can see what the best system is. We can allow states to compete. What bothers me is like, you know, going back to what we're talking about in the first place, everything's got to be federal top down control. Like everybody's got to be New York. Everybody's got to run it the certain way that New York or Virginia want to run it before a lot of the people on the left will be happy. And um, and that that's what's got me worried. Like they they I, I don't understand the 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 
fear mongering about Roe v. Wade, like, oh, Roe v. Wade's going to get overturned. Well, so you can write your laws in your state that you want. And what, right. what's the problem? It's not Roe Ro goes down tomorrow. New York and Virginia is still doing the exact same thing that they're doing today. Mm -hmm. No, no change whatsoever. So it just it just means that here in Montana, let's say if the state legislature and the governor here disagree and they have a, a more conservative view on sort of the back and forth that we just had about what life is is you know at what point we're we're going to protect life mm -hmm. well that's great i mean that's that's the way the system ought to operate but instead mm -hmm. it's got to be it's got to be one size fits all it's got to be one rule for everybody yeah it's a definitely a, a tough one um so wrapping up here um one final thing do you have any uh predictions or uh inclinations for the uh the election that's what do we got to wait another two a year and a half yeah, before man, this love, thing goes I down love the show though I, I i really do it's better than any movie better than any tv show in canada we do it much quicker i mean our last election was a little drawn out i think we're starting to adapt more to that american yeah. style but our, our elections have tended to be much quicker in the past mm. so you don't deal with all the, the are they like legally defined you can only campaign for a certain amount of time it used to be i believe uh. um people can check me on that i I believe it was it was something crazy like four months or something uh, uh for I the mean, campaign I, to start i'd have to oppose that kind of idea on you know speech grounds but uh quietly i might not be that mad <laughs> it makes it interesting like though that. the long the long yeah. way does make it fun um, well yeah but it, it, it does you know yeah. I, I understand why everybody's not thrilled with it we had like a high you know high stakes senate um race in the fall here and it was just non-stop everywhere you look ads all the time it did get kind of annoying uh but uh, but about the um about 2020 predictions. I think Biden's going to hop in. That would be my prediction. And I actually, I've been saying, I think Biden will probably get the nomination. And I think he is the biggest political threat from the Democratic Party to Trump. I think he has enough appeal with the moderates uh, in the party and he can trot out Obama wherever he wants. Presumably Obama would endorse him. That said, he's not a perfect candidate. Uh, he's had some weird kind of me too-y stuff sure. in his background yeah, yeah. maybe that would roll out i don't know but i guess what i'm fascinated to see is uh trump is a vulnerable candidate trump uh whether it's policy or just his personality he rubs a lot of people the wrong way he's a vulnerable candidate he was a vulnerable candidate in 2016 he just happened to run against an even more vulnerable candidate who everybody hated like five percent more than they hated him so if you had a candidate who's just a little more charismatic and a you know a lot less corrupt than Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump's not in the White House today. The question is, what are the, what is the modern Democratic Party going to pick? Are they going to pick practical political strategy? That is to say, our priority is to get Trump out, and we care less about who's actually in the White House at that point. You pick a guy like Biden at that point. You pick someone with centrist appeal, moderate appeal. Somebody who maybe even will push back against the fringe of your party, even though you won't like it. Or do you go all in with Bernie Sanders? Do you go all in with um, with I don't know. I mean, even like Kamala's Kamala's talking Medicare for all and a lot of a lot of the more fringe ideas. You go full blown progressive, in which case. I think their I think their prospects are a lot lower. Um, I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of people who are willing to vote for their wallet uh, and vote with their wallet and not really care about Trump's tweets. And I'd be, you know, I'd be one of them. I, I, if the election were held tomorrow, I'd vote for Trump again, even though he's pissed me off on, on several things. I think mm -hmm. he, you know, I, 
the whole bump stock issue really bothered me, not just because of the gun issue, but because of the idea that you're going to confiscate legally owned property by redefining the law from the executive branch. That doesn't make any sense. That's constitutionally dubious. I think what he's doing with this emergency wall, uh, uh, the emergency declaration on the wall is highly constitutionally suspect. We'll see how the courts sort it out. Mm -hmm. That said, I trust him with the Constitution more than I trust the Democratic Party now, so I'd still vote for him. But I think mm. I think there's a lot of people who are some are kind of in my position where they're you know, they could be pulled away, but the Democrats would have to be I can't go to the Democratic Party. Let me click one of A lot of them have put their, their foot in their mouth or, or dug themselves in some holes already this early. Yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of people who are not so loyal to Trump that they can't be pulled away by somebody. The Democrats were smart, but I think they're going to go with this like moral purity. I think they're going to go with this purity. Well, no, I shouldn't say that because I already said I already picked Biden. So I'd be going <laughs> against myself. Uh, what I'm trying to say is I can't wait to watch them have this fight between progressive purity and what is smart from a practical perspective. Politically. Right, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the debate's already start in June or July or something? Yeah, I think June's the first. Yeah, that'll be, it'll be uh, fun. Uh, yeah. Peter Schiff, uh, again, what, his prediction is uh, it's going to swing way to the left, and that's his, his pending uh, economic collapse that he says is going to be worse than the 2008 oh. crisis is what he thinks is that the pendulum is swinging so far back to uh, socialism, and that's going to actually ultimately be the downfall. I think his whole thing is that the next economic collapse is all, uh, the consumer price index is also going to rise and the dollar is going to tank. Uh, whereas, so it's, I'm not great at explaining it, but it's similar to his, uh, his whole thing with the dot-com crash and then the 2008 crash. He says yeah. that the same thing is happening with the federal reserve. You have the quantitative easing and all that, that, uh, we're entering QE4 and then that's gonna, that combined with the political uh, spectrum swinging that you're going to have a, a left-leaning president and that's going to, uh, be the doom. So he's know. predicting that for the next election that we're going to have for this one coming out that there's going to be uh. someone from the left that's that's everyone is just uh, going to be uh, waiting for that that promise again that's you know the economic promises and it's just gonna it's just gonna tank. I don't so know. So it's going to be Bernie maybe. Maybe. Gonna, yeah. It'd be interesting, but up here in Canada, we're supposedly going to be again a little more protected from uh, from whatever might happen in the U.S. I don't know. I'm huh. not an expert, but uh, yeah. It's interesting, all these uh, competing um, um, theories out there. But anyway, so thanks again for your time and joining us on the show. Uh, where can people find you? you got the Matt Christensen YouTube channel and what else? Yeah, I, and I just built a website to host all my stuff. So it's at mattchristensenmedia.com. It's Christian like the religion, S-E-N, the old Danish spelling. mattchristensenmedia.com is where you can find it. Cool. And if I want to jump in the the stream chat, what do I do? I go on Discord and just yeah, meet so, you guys on Wednesday night? Yeah, it's kind of a it's sort of like the Wild West, man. I won't lie. Yeah. It's kind of a weird crapshoot production. But yeah, for the Wednesday night call in show, uh, we go live at nine east for both of the shows, uh one Sunday, one's Wednesday. They're both at nine Eastern live on YouTube. The the Wednesday night show is the call in show, and there is a link in the description. Mm -hmm to the discord server on which we host it and you hop in there and there's a waiting room and you know, people hang out and chat amongst each other and there's a lot of, uh, uh, I don't know, memes and discussion that might be hazardous sure. to your health and all the things you'd expect to find in a, any sort of anonymous online forum. So join at your own risk. Yeah. Yeah. And we, uh, you know, we try to maintain that show with rules, but it's, 
it's whatever. It's just whatever, you know. It kind of comes out as a whatever production each and every week. Very cool. All right, thanks again, Matt, and uh, we'll talk to you later. All right, thanks a lot, man. Okay, thanks.